Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hello guys and girls, the program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, this is Dr. Santosh, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. I I am grant writing. I am seeing... Like Alan Grant, Cary Grant? <laughs> no, no. This is, this is the uh, asking for money grant. <laughs> this is... The, I, I am seeing like red editing marks and toxoplasma and weird like methodological things in my sleep it is it's creepy i have a few questions for you important <laughs> ones oh are these going to be the kind of things that like i'm going to groan every time i hear it or one of the important questions that test our friendship what happens when sister cities break up and how does one select a sister city uh, when sister cities uh break up i uh, I, 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 they can no longer be twin towns. Apparently, some cities will divorce. What? Which recently happened between uh, San Francisco and a town in Japan, when Ooh. San Francisco built a statue honoring the sacrifices of comfort women, and they broke up as sister cities. And now, now San Francisco has to go to, and this is a real thing that exists. Okay. City to city personal pages. <laughs> for lonely so, cities looking for a town to twin with oh oh that's so heartbreaking it is important yes. you know that cities have <laughs> romantic pages cities searching <laughs> well, for cities <laughs> it's not really romance if it's sister unless you're you know you go to the wrong part of the internet but yeah we just listened to a two city breakup oh uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> language language is important yeah and, yeah okay yeah and that's why this week's theme is going to be based around well some listener questions and the importance of language in our answers oh, uh, oh okay yes and santosh that means this is finally after taking a few off an alternate <laughs> week oh man you know what happens on alternate weeks don't you Oh, it's my favorite. Everybody's favorite segment, Journal Club. 
Yay! <laughs> Every time you do your Kermit arms, your voice gets more and more Kermit. I hope, listening audience, you're all remembering to do your Kermit arms at home yeah. whenever you read a journal. It yeah. makes the science better. So the stories this week are focused, as I said, around communication and yeah. things that listeners have brought up. Uh, the first being a very interesting one. Now, Santosh, you trained in Miami. I did. So if I were to ask you, are you familiar with the Hispanic paradox? What would you say that is? The Hispanic paradox? I No, I, I've heard a lot of puns on the word Hispanic and Latino, some of which we cannot say on air. And I personally have been told that my Spanish sounds a little Cuban, but no, I, I don't know what a Hispanic paradox is. Uh -uh. Oh, I know a little Cuban. He lives right down the hall. <laughs> uh, but the, okay. his, the Hispanic paradox is uh, starting around 30, 40 years ago, researchers noted that people of Hispanic descent in the United States lived longer and had lower rates of heart disease than their non-Hispanic white counterparts. Now, oh. here's the paradox part. This yeah. is despite the fact that just by virtue of being Hispanic, you have a higher prevalence of risk factors for heart disease, such as obesity and diabetes, sure, and sure. a higher likelihood of experiencing stress from discrimination or lower wages. And that's based off World Health Organization data from the last oh, 16 years. Yeah. Yeah, it is very difficult right now, and we have a long way to go as a society, but these horrible strata still exist. If you're poor, it's stressful being poor, and that keeps you poor, but it wreaks havoc on your long term. And if you're rich, I mean, what if someone's stolen your NFTs? <laughs> I still don't know what if you can do that or how you do that. A researcher Chen analyzed with et al, not Chen and al, Chen yeah. and company. Chen, Chen and friends. Chen, I would watch that show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Josh, with the next paper we write together, <laughs> we're gonna write it as. Dr. Santosh and Friends, or Dr. Josh and Friends. That's going to be the title. Anyway, <laughs> the, the scientist, scientist Chen and company analyzed yes. all premature deaths in individuals aged 20 to 64 years among the Latino, African-American, and white populations, as well as 12 other Latin populations in general, so Salvadoran, Guatemalan, things like that. Their general overall findings were that Latina women had the lowest premature mortality rate of all the populations, mm -hmm. and mortality among Latino men was lower than all populations except for Peruvian individuals who are apparently remarkably hardy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man, if I was trudging up and down those mountains all day, I'd be fit as a fiddle too. So the question then becomes, why is this? You know, the yeah. cause of this resilience, when you guys are, when people of Hispanic descent are more likely to be diabetic or have issues with obesity, why, in fact, do they have a lower mortality? And there's been proposed explanations from statistical bias to bean consumption to cultural values. Uh, 
what do you think is going on here, Santosh, before I give you one of our theories? I don't know if... I'll offer one. I'll offer one. Number one, it makes a ton of sense that the women had less mortality. That's a very general trend. Women live longer than men. That makes a ton of sense to me. The other part of what you're telling me in terms of their overall mortality, despite being impoverished, low socioeconomic status, maybe it's the way that they actually handle stress or perceive stress. Because we're learning more and more about the impact of psychological stress on physiological conditions such as high blood pressure, stroke, heart attack, all these kind of a thing. And it is very, very true that if you have coping mechanisms to kind of get around, you know, hey, I'm poor, I'm struggling, but I know how, or you have more interconnectedness with friends, family, people to rely on, that kind of a thing, then that stress becomes kind of abrogated. So that's one of the only things I can think about is that they have some way to cope with this horrible, horrible stress of poverty. Except that wouldn't help if uh, we look, it's it's across Latino populations. Oh, never mind. Like, so rich Latinos, poor Latinos, all these kind of things. So I'll don't wow. I'll I'll go back. So, okay. so the Hispanic paradox is why does this happen? And this, of course, was pre-COVID. Okay. Uh, I think some of the mortality rates have unfortunately equaled out. But one possible reason may be the Spanish language itself. So, oh. a unifying component across multiple cultures has some unique features that may promote, as you mentioned better emotional expression oh nice so not necessarily coping with stress but being able to talk about it in a more uh, in a clearer way well let me give you an example okay. uh in english we have the verb to be yes so i i am uh, <laughs> right we we only have one but in spanish you can be a certain way temporarily a star or okay. permanently ser. This comes in handy when you're talking about disease recovery and negative situations. Uh, in English, I'm overweight. In Spanish, okay. I can in Spanish I can be permanently overweight, ser gorda, or okay. I could just be temporarily overweight, a star gorda. One oh. one entertains just by the nature of its construction the possibility of change. Wow. I I never really thought of it that way. Uh but you're you're absolutely right. One's permanent, one is intrinsic even. It's it's a part of who you are. And then the other is uh, I guess transitory or malleable. It it doesn't have to make up the actual person. You can also imply degrees of size. Like you have an infection is, you know, tiene una infección, but you have, oh, just a little infection. It's not as bad. Don't worry. You'll probably recover. You know, tiene un poquito infección. <laughs> infeccionita. Oh, infeccionita. So you can actually put the ita. Oh, you on... you definitely can. But yeah. 
So you can you can put a little infeccionita. You don't even have to use a separate word like you or I in English would say you have a mild infection, which you gotta you gotta put that in there. But you can't actually modify the word infection like the way you can in in Spanish. That is so cool. So one of the new areas for study is seeing can an actual foreign language affect recovery. But how do you study that? You're gonna have to find bilingual individuals or test people with, uh, you know, does this word make you feel better faster? Like the, (laughs) the idea of how to structure those experiments is going to be very interesting. So something for all you future scientists out there, solve the Hispanic (laughs) paradox. Well, so it, it might end up being like a preguntita. Ah, now you're getting it. I I really love this. If we found out that this was a true effect on morbidity and mortality, this would have such widespread implications for how we treat each other and how doctors treat their patients. Because, well, you and I know, Josh, doctor-patient relationship is really important to get a person healthier. But if we learned even a simple principle like this holds true, then this might even be a whole new part of our education about how we talk to our patients and how we get them better. Yeah. So the next time I see one of my uh, English speaking patients, I'm like, oh, you just have a infection little. Nope. Doesn't work out. <laughs> no, but doesn't work. Santosh, <laughs> the episode is ticking. Uh, yes. So tick tock. Let's move on to the next. No, don't make the me next, do it. Uh, wow. Let's move on to the next article. Don't make me do a TikTok, Josh. This is, these are all. There's such scary things on the TikTok with people. Santosh, in, that's yeah. just the other week you learned about the song "Jiggle Jiggle" from yeah. TikTok. <laughs> don't I, you want to know? Don't you want to know what things TikTok is contributing to scientific research? Okay, that's that's fair. If you can tell me a redemptive, sort of beautiful, uh, well, 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, at least a degree up, a little degree up from toilet. Well, have you heard of? He asked rhetorically the TikTok <laughs> hanger challenge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring this one up. This was one of our listener questions. They asked yeah. that. Okay, which is very fair because this was absolutely viral. It took off. So, in if you put a hanger on your head, and it has to be one of the metal ones, I think that have some tension to it, so that they kind of squeeze your head a little bit, that your head automatically starts to turn in a particular direction. I can't remember which way it is. And the reactions from some of these that I had seen very, very briefly as these migrated over to YouTube were intrigued all the way over to absolutely shocked. I think one person who tried it, their head started to move and they threw the hanger off of their head because they were so freaked out. Terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But even though it's now making the rounds on TikTok, yeah. And as as challenges for the youths go, 
This is uh, <laughs> this is so. This much is not. Better. This is not a particularly harmful one. Yes, no, no one's going to end up in the ER with a lung full of cinnamon uh, or a rectum full of vodka. Yes, but in 1995, a young man found when he wore a wire clothes hanger on his head, it rotated involuntarily. This oh. fact was broadcast on a TV program in Japan. That's it. No follow-up. Uh, but after a decade, after a decade, scientist Kajimoto and a co-researcher studied this phenomenon. They're like, wait a minute. Was this a hoax or did he actually do it? So here's, here's the basic idea. When the head is encircled with a wire clothes hanger, and to use the proper neurological term, the unilateral frontotemporal region is compressed, meaning it pinches your whole head on both sides. No, no, unilateral, one side, one side. Well, it's pushing across the whole area. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right, across that, got it, got it. I'm, I'm sorry. So the head will rotate unexpectedly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as All the right. mechanism in the scientific paper, they, re- they report, as the mechanism is unclear, however, we have temporarily named this phenomenon the hanger reflex. Sure, that's a great name for it, Okay. Not terribly imaginative, but, you know. And they said, well, we don't know why this happens, but let's see what we can do with it. So this was applied to treat cervical dystonia, which is a condition which is, you can think of a dystonic muscle as one that's sort of constantly spasming or locked in a spasm. So cervical dystonia is a head muscle spasm. So imagine your head is tilted at an angle like a dog's listening to a question or command. Yeah, yeah. Or that kind but, of thing. But in a painful way because there's a spasm involved. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So they used this reflex to put on people who had dystonia and they turns their heads back automatically because of the hanger reflex into a more natural position. But let me back up for a bit. They wanted to study the hanger reflex in healthy people first. So these Japanese researchers got 120 healthy adults, 60 men, 60 women, age 19 to 65. And a wire clothes hanger was applied to each subject's head. The the long side of the hanger, very scientific... Sorry, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to visualize the ethics board as they're looking over this protocol and approving it. (laughs) You want to do what now? (laughs) The longer side of the hanger is attached over the volunteer's frontotemporal region. And then they evaluated one, whether subjects felt the sensation of head rotation, which was noted in about 90 to 95%. And then in 85% of the trials, head rotation was observed in the direction that coincided with the side compressed by the hanger. No difference between genders, but it actually happened in a lot of people and likely represents some prevalent, if unexplained, phenomenon in humans. So then they used it to treat people with neck muscle spasms. And they're like, well, we don't know why this works, but it seems to. Uh, (laughs) this is so cool i i'll tell you the truth josh i was not thinking of a therapeutic application for this i just thought this is some weird ass thing that's part of 
some evolutionary holdover that has zero use for us in the modern time. Well, as you know, when we were all living in trees yes. back in the olden days, we used to need to hang our clothes somewhere. So we had plenty of hangers and uh, <laughs> clearly developed the hanger reflex at that time. What, what, what do you want from me, man? You don't know if this happens. <laughs> yeah, I... I... It could have been something simple as, like, if you are having your head compressed, that's how you wiggle out of whatever's compressing your head. I, I don't know. I do not know. So, again, as challenges go, this is fairly benign. Enjoy it. But, you know, if you're going to try it, make sure there is someone to witness or in TikTok's case, film. <laughs> I'm really curious about this. Because they were using this on people with dystonia, there's less of a chance that this is kind of psychosomatic, meaning that you do it just because you think you'll do it. The same type of psychomotor reflex that we talk about, for instance, with the Ouija board. But this looks to be like it's a true neurological impulse. That's that's so interesting. So there you go, folks. Actual doctors saying this is not a hoax. Is it useful? <laughs> eh. But it's it is a real thing. Uh, I might try it. I got like a crick in my neck today, Josh. Like a little crick. As Doctor Santos joins TikTok, folks. <laughs> yeah. And I cannot wait. I will probably cry from laughing so hard when you do. Which brings <laughs> us to our next listener question: Are sweat and tears the same? And if not, oh come what on, what do they do? <laughs> Yeah, they're they're different. If uh, I, but how? <laughs> I mean, aside from the fact that you don't cry from the top of your head. <laughs> I'll I'll give you a good example for just general practical type of knowledge that hits really quickly. Anybody who has worked out really really hard and sweat drips into your eyes you notice very quickly that it stings pretty badly, actually. And you have to yeah, wipe the sweat Yeah, but it's also been running your over your dirty-ass head. No, no, but you're not just sweating from your dirty-ass head. You're sweating from, you know, above yeah, your but... eyebrows and that kind of a thing. So it's number one right there, very, very likely that we're talking about an increased salt content. But probably other things in there, too, that would irritate your eyes rather than tears, which you know, don't irritate your eyes. Interestingly, Santosh, tears and sweat actually have about the same degree of salinity. Oh, okay. But sweat contains oils and hormones, and that's what irritates the eyes. Oh, the sebaceous glands, the oil glands. Got it, got it, got it. And that's because, by and large, the purpose of sweat is to regulate temperature. Right, right. If right. you're getting overheated, your body will produce sweat, and your body is not good at focusing like, oh, you know what? The left elbow is getting just a little bit too hot. <laughs> sure. Better right. does the whole body. This, of course, is why you see people in California walking around in scarves, Uggs, and skirts or shorts. Sure. <laughs> That's you know, true. They've, they've clearly learned to focus their temperature regulation <laughs> to specific parts of their body. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one more that's kind of cool, though, Josh. So in terms of humanity and anthropologically, it does turn out 
that places which are very, very hot are also places where we eat spicy, spicy food because it encourages sweating, your response to the capsaicin as well, which allows you to cool off on top of your normal sweating response from the heat. So there's probably a, a good reason why all the chili peppers and jalapenos came up in those hot, hot cultures. Now that's a spicy meatball is actually <laughs> Italian air conditioning. That is true. That is true. So if the main purpose of sweat is temperature regulation and the oils in the sweat also help with that, what then is the function of tears? So multiple, multiple reasons for tears to actually happen. You know, you're sad, you're crying, that kind of thing. But by and large, the regular tears that you're making all the time that you don't even notice and that drain off um, in a very constant way through your tear ducts are for just contemplating the sheer issues with existing over the last (laughs) two years the tears that you're constantly making all the oh sorry what's on no 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 not (laughs) come back to us josh come back (laughs) no 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 just the everyday walking around it is to lubricate the front of your eye and when you blink, of course, you help spread that tear over the surface of the eye. And as any kind of dust, particulate, anything at all accumulates in that liquid layer, it drains off into your tear duct and more, or I should say the tear duct drains off. And then your tear gland makes more, you know, to, to constantly wash your eye. Your eye is self-washing. It also helps to focus light so you can see clearly. Uh, depending on how that tear film gets distributed, it yes. can make it a little bit easier to see in conditions of dim light or alternating ambient light or even underwater. Yes, absolutely. And I think there was some theory about the type of tear that we make versus underwater creatures that allows them to focus underwater, but we have trouble anyway. That's yes. right. This is what it sounds like when dolphins cry. Oh, don't make the dolphins cry. Don't trust dolphins. Um, we don't entirely understand the reason behind emotional tears. Uh, I'm speaking as a scientist, not as a man, for which I also don't understand the reason behind emotional tears. Yeah, yeah. It could be societal, meaning that you're signaling to other people because we human beings are very, very social and we need to convey our emotions to our fellow villagers and primates and everything else like that. It could be that there's actually stuff in there that gets out, you know, when you you feel better after you have a good cry. I don't know. So... And then, of course, you always have that like weird hacking cry or other things. But let's move back on to our next, our next well listener question. And Santosh, it's back to TikTok. Did you have fun? It's another, <laughs> it's another TikTok tip. Uh, <laughs> you can't use tip though, because then we'll we'll take away our just the tip. We can't do a TikTok tip and a, and a just the tip, can we? Unless, of course we actively get tiktok accounts what do you think listening audience are we are we too hip to be square can we figure out how to do the tiktok let let us know if you'd like to see us 
but in much shorter format, I'm, I'm willing to make the leap, sure. Uh, so another user asked about TikTok gag reflex suppression. Oh, and I chose, man, come on. And I chose not to ask follow-up questions. <laughs> we were doing so well. The hanger challenge was so wholesome. Well, they asked because essentially this particular TikToker was demonstrating how you could suppress your gag reflex by using pressure points and certain physiological techniques uh, for whatever reason. So the listener wanted to know, is this actually possible? Sure, sure, sure. So this may have a practical use. For instance, if a lot of us end up in a time, you know, where you see something and you're disgusted and you know, even though we don't want to, and it doesn't have any real function, we feel nauseated. We want to throw up. Okay, and, listen, listen, yeah. mean girls. Before you yeah. <laughs> tell people why they're not going to gag you with a spoon, how about having a highly active gag reflex can interfere with dental procedures or anesthesia? Oh, okay, okay, okay. And you want to yeah, be able to find <laughs> stuff gross, or just want to be able to? Where is where is your mind? I don't know. I I completely missed the obvious like medical kind of thing. And this is a situation then where you want to be able to do it yourself and not have to rely on like a medication to suppress your gag reflex, which can then, you know, cause bad things because it also suppresses like a cough reflex and you, you can aspirate liquid and stuff. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, seasickness. You just, just leave me alone, okay? My mind went to one place. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. I was, I was in one of those things that you know where you have you're walking around and you just see one of those things, then you go, and you don't want to, you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> so. The gag reflex called the pharyngeal reflex outside or uh, (laughs) called the pharyngeal reflex by by us medical types Mm -hmm. comes in two forms. The first is automatic. You gag when you stick a finger in your throat or see or the second is psychological when you see something gross. Sure, sure. So the the practical stuff, the the gagging that you have actually is if you ingest something that the body perceives as poison, you want to throw it up, you want to get rid of it. Or if you have a piece of food or something that's obstructing and you need to get it out very quickly and it initiates the vomiting response to throw that thing out. In both cases, the pharyngeal muscles in your throat contract. But are there ways that you can manipulate or influence that muscle's ability to do so? Oh. Interestingly, there has been a medical study on this. Oh, okay, okay. So 36 neurologically intact subjects underwent a series of gag reflex trials, baseline, sham, and treatment. Oh, <laughs> no, I guess for a sham reflex trial, maybe they told them, think of something almost but not quite gross. <laughs> maybe somebody who hasn't showered for a few days, but sure. not like 
<laughs> anything too terrible. Uh, yeah. But it, the, 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 authors... the sham can be hard to do if it's a think of something, but we have used sham procedures a lot in as a placebo in medical The studies. authors ended up developing a hand pressure device for subjects to wear that provided consistent force, and they described a gag trigger point index scale. Okay. On the basis of this scale, subjects were divided into a hypersensitive group or an expected sensitive group. And why a hand device? Well, they looked into something that's called, and this is great, the Nugian point. Neguan? Nijuian. N-E-I-G-U-A-N. Nguyen, yeah, probably. Uh, And that's a place on your forearm, just Uh below the palm, as well Mm -hmm. as what's called the Hega point. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Like, heck a point. It's hella cool. Uh, and the <laughs> hegu point is the concave place in between your thumb and pointer finger. I'm willing to bet that about half of you are touching it right now. Go ahead, yeah. look down. <laughs> is That's it, it's, is right. it the web of your thumb? The yes, the web okay. is the hegel point. Gotcha, gotcha. And these points are the ones that are named in traditional Chinese medicine, Josh, for acupressure. Correct. Or got it, got it. Okay. So applying pressure that gradually increased on each of these two areas was also found to help patients who couldn't entirely fight the reflex during dental impressions or procedures where sedation was not a practical solution. Okay. Uh, now, if the arms weren't working, the points on the arms aren't working, there's also the Changjiang, a slight groove found halfway between your chin and lower lip, so kind of where it dips in. Oh, yeah, the dippy, the dippy thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But harder, and, harder to get to if you're doing a like a dental procedure. Right. But those three points, progressive increasing pressure, will decrease the sensitivity of the gag reflex. So the trigger point of the gag reflex, when they carried out this device with the hand subject, moved mm-hmm. posteriorly in all subjects as a result of pressure to the palm point. Meaning, if you were to stick your finger down your throat, the area where you would touch that would cause you to automatically gag actually moved further back following pressure at the neguan point. Oh, gotcha. So if you wanted to make the person gag, you would have to probe further down the pharynx. You'd have to reach further inside. Right. So it, it. it in that particular... Other ones decrease the sensitivity, meaning you could press, but you'd have to press a little bit harder. Statistical results from repeated measures and analysis of variance supported their baseline data, and different group assignments helped predict the scores across conditions. So essentially, there was a group treatment interaction effect between the hypersensitive and expected sensitivity groups, depending on the treatment and point that they used. 
Neat. Okay. So they stratified the patients really well. It sounds like they used a really beautiful control. I may try this, Josh, on patients where, you know, we need to suppress that gag reflex from time to time. Or if you're about to show them a really gross picture. Stop it. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to use it the next time I have to see a diabetic foot infection. <laughs> Josh, oh, come on. You, you those, those are particularly whiffy. <laughs> That's true. I personally have a little bit more trouble with any pathology of the eye, especially if there's any like rupture or something like that. So I I may try it just where the patient can't see me just in front of my, you know, like uh, pretending I'm folding my hands, but pinching right there in that webby part, just like you said. So uh, those are the things that people have wanted to, to know. And I feel like given that two of them related to stuff being brought up on TikTok, we may have to look into this <laughs> in the future. Yeah. yeah it, it is of course, already a place for all kinds of information dissemination, whether it's real or fake or whatever. So I am glad that people are using it to be curious and asking really neat questions and talking about studies and science and that kind of a thing. So that that does make me very, very happy. So with that, that that's it for this week in terms of listener questions. But We do love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback, and we will start doing more of these episodes if you like. Um, We can also mention your name if you come to our Patreon. (laughs) We'd love Uh, to. We really would. And by the way, for even if those guys, all of you people who you're not on Patreon, but you you listen to us and you download us and you're sticking with us, thank you so, so much. That's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback, which is how we come up with these listener episodes. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. But wait, I'm not going to launch into the outro just yet. Oh, I'm going okay. to give you a just the tip. And Yay! Let's start talking about some of the weird medical museums that we always seek out whenever we travel. Okay. So would you rather hear about, like I don't already know, a (laughs) parasitological museum or one of the three largest medical history museums in the world? Oh, that's a tough one, Josh. I know automatically I should talk about the parasitological one. All right. All right. Let's let's go with the the parasite one first. Okay. Uh, Well, we do both. All right, just this once. <laughs> okay, go ahead. The Meguro Parasitological Museum in Tokyo. It was established in 1953 and has about 1,500 different types of parasite specimens, meaning over 60,000 individual parasites in total. Sounds to me like toxomania. <laughs> It's always Toxomania time, Josh. And it's perfect for you, Santosh, because the whole reason the museum exists is to demonstrate the diversity of parasites and to educate the public beyond the common fears most people have. The second floor alone is dedicated to human parasites. 
Oh, man. Now, it's going to freak some people out, I'm going to tell you, but there are societies right now that are true biology societies and medical societies that talk about preservation of parasites, which means just the same way we do ecological preservation and everything, we're acknowledging the role of a lot of parasites, not as infections, but as integral part of certain ecologies. So. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing that there's a place where we can see them and talk about them, but not in a scary way. So the other museum, one of the three largest, is the Paul Stratton's History of Medicine Museum in Riga, Latvia. Ooh, oh my gosh. I don't know that I'd ever had reason to think of travel to Latvia, but I hear it's beautiful. So the main exhibit is the development of medicine from ancient times, meaning, yes, there are exhibits dedicated to Egypt, Greece, and, of course, my favorite Victorian period. But visitors can see a medieval monastery, hospital, and pharmacy, a town designed by Professor Paul Stradens, for who the museum is named, and learn about common diseases and treatments at their time. And it then takes you through breakthroughs of medicine in the 19th century, as well as instruments and personalities. And not only humans, but also animals are there. So it's got the two-headed dog created by Soviet Dr. Demikov and Mm -hmm. a cosmic biology and medicine exhibit exploring human experience in space. Josh, this sounds so, so cool. I'm excited so, already. I well, as of this recording, it's a little dangerous to go into the Eastern Bloc right now. <laughs> but I would love, absolutely love to go to this museum one of these days. This sounds absolutely amazing. Well, continuously running since 1961, it is one of the most popular museums in Latvia. So, okay, when you the- get that chance, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The MVM. Finally, I can bring us to our outro. (laughs) Until next time, as always, wash your hands, get your shot, wear a mask, pick a country to travel to that is safe. (laughs) Yes. Plan out something cool and medical to see. And once you've done all that, happy travels. Bye, guys.